Previously on Funny Science Fiction. What two characters would you like to see come together and to have their own show together? Me and Spock. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. I've always wanted that. Hey, this is Mick Wingert, and you're listening to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. I'm the voice of Heimerdinger, and we're about to go in five, four, three, two, one. The podcast that convinced Thanos to snap his fingers. I don't know. Maybe he was right. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation and helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt crewman number 86. He'll know that when he puts on the Red Shirt and joins Heimendinger in scientific research, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his hedge tech. All right, so our guest today is a very talented voiceover artist known for roles such as Tony Stark and Iron Man and, and many of Marvel's animated series, such as What If? There's a whole bunch more. You can go look them up. You may know him best, really, as Heimerdinger from Arcane. He's also done the voice of, of Poe from Kung Fu Panda, Kozlov from Attack on Titan, and many, and I do mean many, many, many more. He's got an awesome IMDb list, and as I went through it, it was one of those things just like, oh, I want to talk to him about that. Oh, if and if we did talk to him about everything I had on the list, I wanted to talk to him about this would be like a 12 part mini series, but we're going to we're going to cut it down to just a couple things. With all that being said, very excited to welcome Mick Winger to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Welcome, Mick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So glad you you're the one. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, guys. Yeah, we're yeah, we are. There is. We are excited, honestly, to talk with you. We've been kind of shooting notes back and forth to each other over the last week about the things that we would talk about. And I love and it. And all that. Yeah, we, we get excited to talk to people who, who do the things. You, we love voice actors on this show. You guys are the best. We said Thank that in, in pre-show. We weren't joking. We, we honestly mean it uh, because there's usually some really cool stories and things that come along with, you know, talking to voice actors. And so. Uh, but before we get into the the meat and potatoes of your work and dive into anything that's in uh, role specific, we want to know how you got from there to here, your mm. origin story, so to speak. So what were the influences in your life that helped you pursue a life in the performing arts and moreover uh, with voice acting? Mm, yeah. Uh, gosh, how do I keep it down to a nutshell? Because uh, you take 47 long years and you try <laughs> to put it into 20 minutes or less and it all falls apart. Uh, what I'll say is that I got started in the Central Valley of California, which uh, woo Fresno. Here's a shout out to all my Fresno homies. And I basically started when I was a little kid, seven or eight years old. I, well, first of all, I've, I'd always had a huge personality so always trying to cut up at home and you know I uh, had other family members like I have an uncle who when we would get together for family get-togethers he would do all his you know um standard impressions and it he'd bring them out every Thanksgiving and every Christmas this is my uncle Greg uh shout out to uncle Greg uh and um <laughs> I would just start matching him tit for tat right so like he'd he'd start cutting up and he's kind of the family clown and 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 I'd just start matching now this believe now Bear in mind, this is like the early 80s, so... Like he was doing Ronnie Dangerfield, uh-huh, whoa, <laughs> Right? Like, none of, none of your listeners are even to know who that is. I once worked with Rodney Dangerfield. Let me tell you, that <laughs> man is a blessing. A blessing. Then, you know, and he'd bring up his Ronald Reagan, oh my, yes, Nancy and I, and... <laughs> he'd do his little, like, uh... 
gosh, what was the name of that duck? Um, th- it wasn't Donald Duck. I, I know it sounds like Donald Duck, but it was the duck from like the Tom and Jerry universe. From the from I know who you're talking about. I, I and he'd always see. ask, "Are you my mama?" And oh yeah, wasn't like that little that little squeaky duck. He baby wasn't like was it Baby Huey? No, 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 it wasn't. No, baby I thought Huey. it was like Quackers or, or Quackers the duck, something or like that. Um, either way, he would do that little duck, and that duck, I, yeah, that was like the one I couldn't hit, and I was like, "Oh, Uncle Greg got me again." Uh, but that's kind of how I started. Back to you know from the rabbit trail, my my parents needed childcare, I'm sure, very often during the hot summers of Fresno. Both were working parents, so I got stuck in drama camps, and I flourished. So I ended up doing community theater. I had the great uh, fortune of going to a magnet program that was fairly rare during those days. Uh, this was, by by this point, late 80s, early 90s, um, in Fresno called uh, Roosevelt School of the Arts, and it was they just pulled all the best arts people that they had at their disposal, they being Fresno Unified, and they pulled everybody who knew how to teach everything in music and dance and visual art and radio television and, uh, of course, theater and mu- and drama and all of those things. So I got to go to that program, and, uh, you know, that was really the core of my theatrical training. And, you know, post-college, I was going to just do a work-a-day job and then realized I hated being in an office. And... <laughs> And so, and so I was like, yeah, I'm thinking this is probably not the right fit for me, but, um, you know, that acting thing was fun. Um, so I got back into acting and moved to Southern California in 2004, specifically to do cartoons because of family history, whether it was cutting up with Uncle Greg at holidays or watching cartoons with my dad on Saturday mornings and, and you know, weekday afternoons regardless, like this was my fandom. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to make a a living doing anything, I I want it to be this. That's how I got here. That's awesome. I'd like to point out that I am actually old enough to know who half or actually all those impressions were in the beginning. Yeah. Let's hear for the old farts. Yay. Yay. I pulled a muscle pulling up my arm. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And the the duck's name is Quacker. Quacker. Yes. I I was close. All right. I'm like, no. I know which one you're talking about. I know that episode. I, I have to look it up. I found it. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just pulled his name. It's all right, cool. That's all, it's all good. See, that's the, close enough. The, the older ones know all of the impressions. The younger ones know how to use Google. I was actually just leaving it up to the, to the younger <laughs> person on our because she's gonna she's gonna Google it anyway. I'm like, why do I need to look for it? She's gonna do it. So. I'm just going to see myself out. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's a, that's a nice background story. That is a really cool back backstory. And I was actually looking into your history and your backstory and I found your website and I was reading your bio on your website and I actually was that ancient thing. I was intrigued by the last part of your bio specifically. I'm going to directly quote it because it made me laugh Uh-oh. with the Mick Winger and his wife, Shauna, have two boys, a dog, a cat, four leopard geckos, a bearded dragon, a red-tailed boa, a box turtle, a leopard tortoise, an albino corn snake, a, mis- a corn snake, a missing tegu, and other assorted Pokemon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And other picture postcards. It was uh, the missing tegu that... Oh, the, my interest the most. Yeah, since that bio, that version of the bio was ri- written, the tegu was found, <laughs> it, not in one place. Oh um, boy! 
my uh, my my boys found said I have my two boys who are now in their mid and late teen years uh, collected small animals and reptiles uh, as pets over the course of their upbringing and at one point we literally had that list of pets we had, <laughs> we had four leopard geckos we had a box turtle we had I mean you you read the list mm -hmm. uh, the missing tegu I think when I wrote that bio the tegu had gotten out and it was still a juvenile. And uh, in the neighborhood in which we <laughs> lived, this tegu, which for those of you who don't know what a tegu is, it is a large, and they grow to be very large lizards. Okay, so they're like, they're almost like monitor lizards, but they're super jowly up front. Mm -hmm. Well, when they're juveniles, they're still fairly sleek looking. And I would say this lizard, not counting the tail, like head to hind was about that long. And it was about, mm, it was about yay thick, right? And it was only going to, it would get to be about head to, head to hind about this long, plus a tail of like that long. And, um, <laughs> and it had gotten out and we could not catch it again because the lizard bites. Like, I don't know how my wife got talked into buying this thing for my son but my son was all about the tegu and 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 she bought it and we had it we kept it we were gonna walk it on a leash because we watched it on youtube videos <laughs> this tegu bit <laughs> frequently so like feeding him was a chore and managing him was a chore and he got out and not only did he get out but in the neighborhood in which we lived there were like two like drainage pipes uh, they didn't go to the sewer. They were just for like run through, like because we lived kind of at the bottom of a hill. So they were just for water to drain from street to street and just do the flow into water water management. Mm -hmm. He would live between these two stupid pipes, and I'd go to go to one pipe to catch him with a net or with a with you know I, we didn't have any bike gloves at the time. If I had some bike gloves, that I'd have caught that stinker right, right there. But I didn't have those at the time because we'd never had a tegu before. And and I go to get this thing, and he would way back into the pipe, and I couldn't get him. And then we'd see him do, 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 cross the street. And he'd go to the other pipe. And then our neighbors are like, did you lose a lizard or something? Because there's a very large lizard who is eating our, like, our fruit back uh, off the trees in our backyard. I mean, it's fine. The, the, the trees overproduce anyway. But um, <laughs> like, I, we don't know where this came from. Do you know where the, the tegu nope. came from? They didn't call it a tegu, but like, she's, do you know where that big lizard came from? Is that yours? And I'm like, it's my lizard. I don't want it, but I, I have to own it. Anyway, long story endless. The tape. This is kind of funny. So for young listeners, I, I have to give, you know, trigger warning here. The Tegu, I'm about to talk about uh, what became of the Tegu. If you have sensitive listeners, this would be a good time to fast forward. Maybe I'll try to keep it brief. Maybe fast forward like, I don't know, uh, a good 20 seconds or something. The Tegu was in between his little holes and another neighbor yes. ran over him. Now, inside, my wife and I were both going, yes, the Tegu's gone. But outside, we were like, oh, yeah, I'm so, so oh, no, not the Tegu. Such a sweet, sweet boy. Uh, and we were, we never bought another 
large lizard monitor or otherwise again. Uh, the funny thing was is that the, the neighbor had pulled in with their car um, when we weren't home. And that's when the car met the Tegu. And so... And so I promise uh, if you if you just fast forwarded to this moment, I'm almost done. Uh, fast forward <laughs> maybe another 10 seconds. So <laughs> I when we got home from like a weekend trip or something, the neighbor comes up and says, we've been keeping the 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 remains of this tegu for you. We're so sorry we hit it. We're so sorry. She brings out a Ziploc bag and there's a frozen. <laughs> There's a frozen lizard in the bag. No. I'm not kidding you. I'm. You can't oh, no. write this. Like, oh no. My kids are the age at the, when this is all happening, where they're like watching these Disney kids sitcoms, and I'm like, there's no writer in Hollywood that would have come up with that. That is too good. So she gives us, and my wife puts on the morning, the morning pet owner. Oh, look. thank you so much. You're so caring. Thank you for saving the remains for, we were good thank you it's just so kind and she's like when she gets in the house she's like oh my god let's get rid of this uh quick before the boy sees it um and that is the saga i've never told that story on any other podcast that is a funny science fiction podcast exclusive you heard it here first folks you know that is even better than i was anticipating i was expecting it escaped we found it like just your typical the hamster got out and it was under the couch sort of story no that's no. Way no no that's way better i'd also like to better. point out that three quarters of the the pets that are listed in in that uh, menagerie there um in the words of uh bishop bullwinkle are a whole lot of hell nah to the nah 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yes uh because you have geckos and lizards and 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 snakes, oh. and as far as I'm concerned, they're all snakes. Just some of them have legs. Right. And um, I don't like snakes or anything that looks like a snake. And I used to have a friend who had a bearded dragon. He's like, "Oh, look, and it's see how nice it is and how gentle it is." And I'm like, "Yeah, that no, just get that the hell away from me." Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the bearded dragon is the least of our problem. We still have the bearded dragon, which is nice. So we call him LB um, uh, for little uh, biscuit. And uh, we'll call it, we'll just say that. And uh, he's he's got a little bit of an attitude. He loves lettuce, though. I One time I brought lettuce to the lizard. Because it's my job to feed the animals. Because uh, they're my, my son's pets, but he's not interested enough to actually take care oh, of them. Of course, them. yeah. Uh, I understand so, that all too well. Yeah. So i bringing lettuce to the lizard. And I guess he was, it had been too long since his last feeding. So he was really hungry. And as the doors were open. As soon as he saw me, like, snap those greens to, like, break mm -hmm. them up for him he literally it was a front opening cage he jumped out of the cage onto my chest i was like ah! and there was like lettuce everywhere there was lettuce everywhere because this thing this guy this little bearded dragon was going kamikaze mode to get some freaking food <laughs> it's like it's been too long i'm so sorry let me give you some food Y'all, y'all had to have a defibrillator there for me because that'd have been that'd have been Tim punching his ticket right there. Just <laughs> been Tim going, no, Tim, stay with us. <laughs> stay with us, Tim. Tim yeah. in his poor heart condition anyway. Right. Don't go towards the light. <laughs> no, the light stay away from the light, Tim. <laughs> when you mentioned your neighbor brought the frozen tagu, I was like, what's for dinner? <laughs> tagu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This will go. This will go nicely with the lettuce. 
Some, just, some families have pasta and ragu. We have tegu. As well. I just, it was, as I'm reading through that bio, though, and I'm like, they have a zoo. <sighs> We at that time at that time we did, and I left it on there because it's really funny, and it's kind of a litmus test to see who actually reads these things. So, uh, you so you pass. Yay! Congratulations, Yay! Kathleen! You pass. You get a gold star. Yeah, I love gold stars. They're my favorite. Yeah. So I've been I personally have been a League of Legends fan for quite some time, and near towards the beginning, not quite the beginning. But Arcane was everything that I have ever hoped for. Oh, good. So, were you a fan of League before doing the voice of Heimendinger? You know, I'm just going to be super straightforward with you and disappoint your whole fandom. I'm sorry I wasn't. But that's not because I disdained it or whatnot. I just wasn't exposed to League of Legends as a game. Um, Same. My, my kids, uh, that was just not their game of choice. Uh, the one that my younger son plays is Overwatch. And so if you were to ask me about Overwatch, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know all the characters and I know what rank they are and I know what, what <laughs> class they play. Uh, but if... Um, but in terms of league, I really wasn't familiar with the property and the property until I jumped into Arcane. Um, as I, I have said in, in in other interviews, so I'll try to make it brief. Like I certainly was aware of League of Legends. I was aware of what style of game it was. I even know some of the actors in it uh, as a game property. And I made sure when I got the audition for Heimerdinger because that was a character that I booked out of an audition. Not all of them are. Sometimes you get invited to come in because you've worked with so-and-so before and they know your work and all that kind of stuff. This one was, we're looking for Heimerdinger. I booked it out of the out of the booth and the reason I think I did is because I tried to they were very specific in their in their audition materials that they really wanted this to be you know kind of gritty down to earth very realistic uh three-dimensional characters who lived and breathed in a very real world though it had fantasy elements um they specifically did not ask for a voice match for the character in the game but Somehow I knew the name Heimerdinger, so I looked him up. I knew that was a character from a game franchise, and it turned out to be League of Legends. I looked up looked up the previous voice actor's work, and I tried to pay homage to the original. Um, a lot of the voice work I've done over the years has been voice matching, and I'm a huge, like, I'm your continuity cop in your group of friends. I'm the one who's like, well, in episode three, he didn't say that. He said this. I don't know how the how the catchphrase changed, but somewhere between episode three and where he says it again in episode seven, it became uh instead of the. I don't know, but I'm watching. So I'm like being the continuity guy, every time I have ever tried to do voice match, if somebody can't tell it's not the original actor, I feel like I've did, I've done my job. So it's not great for brand building. It's not great for getting the name Mick Wingard out there. But like, for example, you know, I did uh, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween and I was the voice of Slappy and they brought me in because I'm a sound alike for Jack Black. And Jack had done the voice of Slappy in the first film. And they wanted that the continuity of that character in right. in the films. So even though they got somebody else to do it, <laughs> my job, if 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 I got people to think that that Jack did the voice of the dummy in that movie. I, I was happier and pleased as punch, more happy than if you had somebody came up to me and said, I, I love you as Slappy and Goosebumps too. Oh my gosh, it's so funny and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I like to hear that too, but if somebody comes up and says, 
You were in that? I saw that. I thought that was Jack Black. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Continuity Cop has done his job. I'm making sure that the through line, the through line is is pure. But anyway, so yeah, I tried to do that with with Heimer, and um, and so in that way, even though I wasn't familiar with the franchise beforehand, I, you know, I definitely tried to give it the the propers and the respects that that it deserves. I know there's a lot of fans out there. You could almost call yourself Jack Black's voice stunt double. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> It's true. So it's interesting that you, 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 the way you phrase that, because my next question for you actually has to do with, with taking over the, the voice acting for uh, Tony Stark and Marvel. Now that was one that uh, Adrian had done previously. You, you jumped in mm -hmm. for him um, after, and I think it was season four of Avengers Assemble. Mm -hmm. I think it was when you started. That's correct. Yeah. So good job. Well, thank you. My, my research has paid off. That wasn't even in my notes. All right. Where I, where I noticed you first and where I was excited you know, was, was with what if I did, I honestly, I hadn't watched a lot of the Avengers assembled. I watched mm -hmm. some of it, but not a ton of it, but I, I watched all of what if, and I was floored by that series by, a, as a lot of people were, I, I was very happy with, with what was done there, you know, and, and you picked up again, voicing him there. What I found most interesting though, was the number of news articles that came out at the time when, when what if came out saying that, uh, RDJ Robert Downey Jr. had been replaced, recast because the voice did not match. And I'm like, well, you dummies! Of course, it's not going to match. It, you typically animated doesn't have the same actor as 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 live action. The one the one uh, from What If that actually that was not the case for was Doctor Strange. Benedict Cumberpatch mm -hmm. uh, did uh, did both, which was Benadryl unusual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a whole lot of other ways we can do with that, but uh, butternut, but this, butternut crinkle fries. Yes. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, so this this whole topic was brought up in a Newsweek article, which mentions you specifically, talks about yeah. you, and there's a whole bunch of articles that actually praised your work and and the fact that you sounded you. so much like Robert Downey Jr. And I thought you did uh, a very very you. good job uh, at that as well. I knew going into it, it wasn't Robert Downey Jr. I had no expectations of it being Robert Downey Jr. But I think that, you know, for such a, a large name to be, you know, a large character, you have to do what you said there and being the continuity cop, making sure that it sounded like what people were used to. And I thought you did a really good job for that. So I, I, I led all of that to ask you two questions. Number one, what's it like being talked about in a major news publication like Newsweek or or uh, Comic Book Review and things like that? Yeah. And then number and then number two, the second half of this question, what do you enjoy most about portraying Tony Stark, aka Iron Man, other than saying I am Iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> to answer question number one, it's mind blowing. I I'm. I... We're all, all any actor who tells you that they're not pursuing fame of some kind is lying to themselves, much less lying to you. We all are in this business to get some recognition and adulation. It all goes back to our bro broken childhoods. But uh, <laughs> I digress. Uh, <laughs> so it feels great to be mentioned in places like that, but it can also be crushing uh, for the ego. I think what blew me away the most was that I have spent most of my career um, building up a subtle little fan base of folks who recognize and follow voice actors, um, but not 
mainstream people at all, not not a mainstream audience sure. to be referenced in the same. I mean, there was like three paragraphs about my career. They never talked to me. They didn't interview me. They just did a deep dive as you kind of did on my IMDb and they just put two and two together and gave me three paragraphs at the end of the article about RDJ. And I'm like, I'm in Newsweek. Yeah. What the hell just happened? This doesn't happen to voice actors. I mean, it does to like major voice actors. I'm sure Tara Strong's been in Newsweek, but like, I'm just the voice match guy. What is going on? It was much bigger than I had ever anticipated. So that was mind blowing uh, in a good way. And mm -hmm. what was so really frustrating was at the time, um, because Robert had made such a, a clear and definite break from the Marvel universe, right. uh, the folks at Disney and Marvel in terms of their publicity were trying to just underplay that the role had been recast and it wasn't recast because they didn't like him or couldn't get him. I'm sure if they threw enough money, they would have got him. And I'm sure they would have been willing to throw that kind of money mm -hmm. at him for what mm -hmm. if he was just done. He was like, yeah. I'm done. This is it. I'm not right. going to be known as Iron Man for the rest of my life. And I get it. That's cool. More, uh, more's, more's the opportunity for me uh, right. and, and other actors of my ilk. So how does it play, feel to play Tony Stark? It's a huge weight. I will say they worked with me uh, on at least one callback. They really liked the acting I was bringing to the party. Um, but then when I booked the gig, the first thing they, they did was they said, we want to bring Mick in for a meeting before we even get into the studio. And I just basically sat down with Brian Andrews, who's the the showrunner on what if and he was like well you know kevin was really you know happy with everything overall but we just want you know I, we think you've got a really good like young tony from like the original films you've got the your voice is lighter mm -hmm. so we just really want to make sure you know before you come into the studio watch you know rewatch endgame rewatch uh, infinity war uh just familiarize yourself with with uh more mature tony and and you know Typically, when I'm doing Tony Stark, I'm I automatically just kind of go up here, like that, um, to to hit that Robert Downey Jr. thing. But as you find in in the later movies, he's actually a lot more subtle. Like this is like, mm. I dreamed we had a kid. We had a you know, or um, Earth is closed today. Uh, so pack up your spaceship and go home. Uh, or whatever. So, um, nice. Thank you. So those, those moments, it was a huge pressure because I knew they wanted as close as possible. And listen, you know, the dirty little Hollywood secret about most major films is that some percentage of dialogue that is done, um, that, that makes it to the final screen for most actors is a is a voice match. Now, I didn't do any voice matches voice matching on the Marvel films at all. Uh, but I do know that Robert Downey Jr.'s lines were voice matched. Some of them uh, were voice matched. Um, okay. And I actually I take that back. I did a little bit of voice matching, I think, on Spider-Man No Way Home, but maybe just a line or half a line. Most of most of that is either uh, another a different voice match or it's Robert himself. And what happens is they get everything the day they shoot and then because of background noise and get the sound as controlled right. as possible, everybody basically comes in and re-records the whole film. And if the 
celebrity actors not available to re-record the whole film. They'll bring in a voice match. And, and when you're watching those huge scrolls of credits to get to that extra scene, you might see that little list that says additional voices. And that's talking about everybody who's in the background doing voices for the extras who were on set silent. They were all doing this. <laughs> and then a bunch of, you know, Loop Troop people came in, additional voices came in and filled in their dialogue, right. right? How's your sister today? Really? And what does Bobby say? Oh, really? I'll have the steak, please. Like all of those things in a cafe scene, in a big scene. Mm -hmm. So when the celebrity's not there, I, I, I'm saying this by way of saying, I know that there are other voice matches out there that might actually sound closer to him, but I'm very... Um, very privileged and, and dare I say proud of the fact that they went with me because they really felt like my acting audition was the strongest. And so that's, awesome. that's, that's when it came down to, do we believe him vocally or do we believe him emotionally? They went, they went for emotionally and, and, and I got the nod. So that, that was a huge kudo to me. Um, and it's always just cool to play the coolest guy in the room. It's always fun to play sure. the guy who's smarter than everybody else, right? And he's going to make a quip, <laughs> you know, nice glasses. I love those. Love those. He's he's just the guy that's blueberry. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> the irreverency that comes with being so brilliant, you know, you, right. you, know you have to kind of dumb yourself down to, or at least you think you have to dumb yourself down to operate on somebody else's level. I'm sure Justin Roiland gets the, the same feeling when he gets to play Rick. Sanchez, because that's the same kind of character. He's just much more of a jerk about it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where he comes in and he has to lower his IQ to relate to the rest of the family. But there is some some sort of freedom in playing like the coolest, hippest guy in the room right. to, you know, to kind of be top cat in the room. So I love I love playing Tony Stark. Every chance I get, I will. And um, I don't know what the the MCU has in store moving forward. Um, but as often as they invite me back to the dance, I'm I'm gonna punch my dance card and get on the floor. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And and in all honesty, yeah, just kudos to you. I think you've done a, a fantastic job with it. Um, even today, I, I rewatched uh, What If episode five. You know, what if Killmonger saved Tony Stark? And there's a couple of you know, especially those opening scenes there of that of that episode are so iconic because they're they're almost scene for scene match with you know the original Iron Man movie, riding through the desert and in the, the convoy mm -hmm. and and the conversations that happened there. And that's where you know when I was watching that, I was like, man, he does a really good Tony Stark. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's very impressive how 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 close you are to the sound of, of Robert Downey Jr. It's, it's clear that you're not Robert, but it's also clear that you're doing a very good job with the acting. And that's that really, in that sense, that's the most important thing because, you know, you, you carry the, not only the sound of, of Iron Man, but you have the, the ability to put off the, the personality of Tony Stark. Clearly I was, you know, Kevin Feige never called me for my, you know, my thoughts on it, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, not this, not, not for this, not, not this, this time, anyway. not, not this time. You, he, will. he will. We have a lunch date later to talk about somebody else, but you know, Got it. but I'm assuming just, and this is just me look on the outside looking in that if they were talking about how your acting was the strongest, I'm looking at the way that you carry the personality because it is such a strong personality, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and all, for all the things that you just mentioned that, you know, doing the quips and doing the, you know, the irreverent uh, conversation and the, just the way his personality, he's very flippant about things. And, and I think that that's, 
that's a hard personality to match, but I think that your acting carries it off very well. So kudos to you for the way that you, that you handle that. I appreciate that. And in saying so, I wasn't begging for a compliment, though, <laughs> though I will keep taking them. So please, please. Uh, oh, no, no. I, I'll, but, I, but I wasn't I'll, begging I'll... for one, and I appreciate you saying so very much. No, um, I'm, I'm more than happy to hand them out uh, if, they're, if they're deserved. So Is that why I never get complimented? So anyway, now I'm going to see question. myself out. Nick's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, would you look at the time? I got a thing to wow, catch over there. Wow, there's the thing I missed. <laughs> oh, look, another tegu's over there. <laughs> My tegu! <laughs> My gloves! So with the with the voice matching, because that's not something in... I don't, I don't feel like that's something a lot of people understand with voice acting, is that you have voice matchers as well, that mm-hmm. you can't necessarily have Robert Downey Jr. come in for every role. You can't have Jack Black come in for every role. Yeah. Do you sometimes struggle with being associated with these characters that are really known by the the bigger the bigger stars? Yeah, I'm struggling every time I need to make a car payment. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not it at all. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there is always, especially for us, look, I'm one of the voice actors, and there are many of us. There, I'm one of the guys who came to this industry kind of on the backs of the people who fell into the industry. So you had your Mel Blanks and your Dawes Butlers and, and Thurl Ravenscrofts and all those guys who did it forever, but they were actors foremost uh, first and foremost and then and they made a niche in cartoons and then you had your generation kind of in the 80s saturday morning era when you had your sue blues and your you know casey Kasem's and your rob paulson's getting a start and your pat fraley's and and some of those folks who were working with these legends who kind of started the craft and they all every person i just mentioned you know came to the table to really do something else like either to just be an on-camera actor uh, wherever they could work or came from broadcast like a Gary Owens or a Casey Kasem, right? And they they had something to bring to the party when it came to animation. And, and it wasn't until I – this is just my personal theory. I, this isn't, this isn't uh, you know, precise history here, but I would say it wasn't until the late 80s as we started coming out of the – Saturday morning cycle and into the cartoons all the time, Cartoon Networks and like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and, uh, you know, eventually Boomerang and all of these other like areas where programming was not so locked into a broadcast schedule that we had the renaissance, the the Warner Brothers renaissance that was happening around the same time as the Disney feature film renaissance. And that was really Tiny Toons, Animaniacs and Batman the Animated Series and its spinoffs. Those those handful of cartoons from Warner Brothers Animation in the late late 80s, early into the early 90s um, captured a generation of older viewers who were high school and post high school that grew up watching Super Friends and He-Man and Transformers and She-Ra and Strawberry Shortcake and all these other toy based IPs Mm -hmm. after school and on Saturday mornings. And we were like, yeah, we do still like animation. And not only do we still like it, we still want to watch it. And and the stuff that Tim Bruce Tim and Paul Dini and and Spielberg and his writing crew is Mm -hmm. are doing with these kinds of cartoons we really like and a lot of folks about my generation age said you know 
I do want to be an actor, but I don't want to be on camera. I want to go do that. That Batman thing that Kevin Conroy's doing? That Mark Hamill Joker? Who'd have thought Luke Skywalker would be the best Joker ever? <laughs> I want to do that. And, and again, this is just personal theory. I'm saying it like it's, you know, gospel truth. But, but this is just from my perspective. <laughs> At, f- keeping my you know, ear to the ground to the industry as, as best I can. We're in the the era now where it's, it's now it, it, the floodgates have opened and everybody who wants, who's a fan of, of animation, who's a fan of cartoons, who's a fan of voiceover actors, you know, is, is considering, hey, maybe there could be a career for me in that too. Whereas the generation before, whether it was Maurice LaMarche or Sue Blue or Rob Paulson or even Jess Harnell like came to came to Los Angeles or lived in Los Angeles and was doing other things and was like, oh, yeah, I can I could probably do a voice of uh, that character. And, oh, you need three more. Yeah, that's easy. I'll just do three different voices. And they they got those seats at the table by falling into that as a career and then specializing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to take anything away from anybody, but that's just kind of how like the casting was a lot more. Um, it wasn't so. It wasn't so dramatically different. Like, you know, all all lanes, you know, you were you were auditioning across the board for any gigs that you could. Mm-hmm. And once you got in a lane, that's where you te- you tended to stay. So if you booked feature film, you, you ended up being a film actor. And, you know, God help you if you were ever going to do uh, television because you're a film actor, right? But But again, like, you were auditioning across the board. And mm-hmm. now people are like, no, I, I only have a voiceover agent or I only have an on-camera agent or, you know, I only do performance capture or that's what I'm really specializing in. I don't know if I didn't mean to bore you. But... No, you're good. This is actually fascinating. <laughs> no, we liked it. <laughs> oh, we like we like answers with more information. It's the Boring Science the... Fiction Podcast <laughs> with Mick Wingert. No, I find it fascinating because there is so much to voice acting that if you're not in the industry, you don't understand. You don't see how much goes into it because mm. we never see you guys. We don't we don't know we who you. voice actors mm. are because they're just they're the voices. And right. it's it's when you look into a voice actor's career that you're like, oh wait, they have eight hundred credits. How did I not know that was all the same person? Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and typically a lot of times the only time we're on on from the viewing side of things that we're alerted to somebody being in a project is if a it's a major project that's getting a lot of money and a lot of a lot of network or, or right. studio push or b it's a massive name that's going to be in said project and they want that you know that massive name has to have the 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 title recognition right like, that comes along with having that name mm-hmm. you know like having so, the, mark hamill is the joker because that gets your attention to the animated batman show mm-hmm. like right mm-hmm. or you know butternut squash crinkle fries you know being in you know and I can say that because he's never going to be on our show because, you know, just because we might talk about hope. penguins. You wait, he'll he'll be here and he'll be like, so what was my name? <laughs> I've said that about other people, but <laughs> it's happened. Never and look, that's exactly why I say it now, because it's worked <laughs> once. Yes. Maybe it'll work again. Exactly. There you go. Mark Hamill will never be on the show either. Or Nathan <clears throat> or Felicia Day. Or can we just keep listing all of the people? Just keep listing. <laughs> Oh, I've got a list. We do. I'm sure. I, I don't even know if I answered your question, though, about voice you matching did, it. Though. Like, okay, you did, cool. You did. Yeah. yeah you, did. You, you did a great job of it. Thank you. 
So as it's been stated, we love stories. And one mm-hmm. of the things we don't get to see or hear all too often are the bloopers or gag reels of voice actors. So do you have a memorable or funny behind the scenes moment that you just really enjoyed? Oh my gosh. Not that I'm ready to present off the cuff. Uh, <laughs> gosh, that's, I mean, I've been doing this now f- since 2008. So that's a good 14 years. Cause that's about when I, when I hit, I came down here in 2004, but um, gosh, is there, I mean, beyond, you know, accidentally cussing as the characters uh, right? because you, you blow the line delivery. Uh, that's always fun. Um or whatnot, like, like I never like walked into the wrong studio, or you know, there've been plenty of times where I've I've said somebody else's line for sure. Uh, but I'm trying to think if there's anything memorable, like that just cut up the room. I'm sure there is. I'm sure that like one of my peers is going to hear this interview and they go, they, "I can't believe you didn't mention the time on Kung Fu Panda: Legends of Awesomeness when X happened." <laughs> but I cannot think of X for the life of me right now. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Well, well, just kind of keep that in your mind, and if you get a an answer later, we can. Honestly, take the your idea of accidentally cursing in character is hilarious, right? To me. All I want now, all I want now, is like a gag reel of Heimerdinger cursing. That's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> but like creative cursing, it just seems exactly. It just seems like a lot of fun. All right, so. Uh, you've also done a, a bunch of anime work, and I use—I almost used the very scientific measurement of crap ton, uh, but held off <laughs> because you're about three quarter, you are about three credits short of crap ton. But you're mm. we're, so for right now, we'll just say bunch. A bunch, um, yes. Mm-hmm. You've done a bunch, and that's also a very scientific measurement. It's a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we've talked with other people who've done voice work in anime sessions, yeah. and they talk about you know uh, doing the English version character dubs of mm-hmm. them of those shows and they've talked about challenges that they felt the challenges that the role presents sometimes. So from your position, your, your point of view, what are the challenges for an American actor doing the English version dub of a Japanese character? Well, at the risk of uh, kind of duplicating what you might've already heard, the one of the biggest things is the fact that you have to lock into the picture. The fact that the picture exists before your performance is a hurdle that a lot of performers don't learn to overcome. In fact, one of my first dubbing gigs, uh, wasn't my very first, but my one of the first was um, when we were recording Avengers Assemble, the fourth season, mm-hmm. and Disney had just purchased, well, not purchased, but I guess Disney had just uh, licensed the rights to uh, a Marvel property that was created for the Japanese market called Marvel Future Avengers, and it was it's done totally anime style. You can watch it on Disney Plus right now if you subscribe to Disney Plus for just five ninety nine a month. Future Avengers, and it was your cast of Avengers characters in the Marvel universe, but set like in in Tokyo and with three like you know super powered kids that are thrown into the mix to be mm-hmm. kind of like the next generation of Avengers. And so uh, they asked me to play Tony Stark because I was playing Tony in the cartoon, in the Assemble cartoon. And I said, of course, yes, any t- any chance I get to play this guy because he's the coolest superhero in the room, whatever room he's in, yes, let's make this happen. Uh, so I got in there, and after a couple of sessions, meaning, so this is over the course of like three or four weeks, I'm in there and I'm doing my thing and I'm starting to pat myself on the back a little bit. I'm like, you know, I think I'm getting better at this. I think I'm getting better at like matching. And of course, because 
this Japanese series, this anime is is coinciding with the MCU and the development of the MCU, not, you know, the Fox X-Men properties of way back when or the is it Fox? Yeah. Not the Fox yeah. X-Men properties of way back when, not Fantastic Four, not Spidey from Sony. Like they are into Avengers traditional like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, blah. So so they are writing and overwriting Tony so much. Like he's got all the speeches and I'm starting to pat myself. I'm getting used to this now. I think I can hit it. And I turn to Kirk Thornton, who is a voiceover legend and someone you should consider interviewing if you haven't already. Uh, I talk, I turned to Kirk Thornton, who's the director. And I said, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling more confident. Like when I first got in here, it wasn't, I wasn't as confident, but I'm, I'm starting to find the flow a little bit and how to, how and when to use short-term memory and how to, how and when to read, you know, the line to the picture. And cause, cause you got to look at the lines while looking at the picture and you literally can't look in two places at once. Um, not without severe injury to yourself. Um, and, and he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You're getting, you're getting much, but you know, you're really great when the mask is down, uh, which he meant the Iron Man mask. And right. when the Iron Man mask is down, I don't have to match any of the lip flaps mm-hmm. so I could talk all day. <laughs> and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna remember that. If that's a, that might be a funny, a funny blooper for you is me patting myself on the back and Kirk Thornton quickly putting me in a place saying, "Oh yeah, when you don't have to match lip flap, you're great. You're great." I love it. Which, lip flap. You know, I love it. Part of me is like, oh. You mean the part that's actually easy that anyone could do? I'm good at. Okay, I'll see myself out. I, uh, Holly, thanks. Yeah, right. Thanks, Kirk. Appreciate it. He meant it in good fun, and Kirk is a is a is a friend of mine, and uh, I love working with him. And I think he feels the same way about me. So I don't think it was there wasn't said in bad blood, but it was very funny at the time because uh, here I was begging for the compliment of, oh yeah, you're getting much better. Oh, you're you're right on, and the truth of the matter is, is that I was okay. I wasn't great. I wasn't terrible. I was okay. And I've gotten better and it's become easier to hit the timing. And and depending on the show, like some of these shows, I was just dubbing one today before I had this podcast and it was, you know, I was playing a creature character and most of my cues or lines were grunts and exertions and noises and things. And And there isn't a whole lot of delicate timing, but when your character has three pages of cues that is your speech and they have to be timed to the flapping of the mouth that's on the screen that, that cannot change. That's really difficult. And I, I, I would hold up any of my dubbing peers to any of my, to any of my other peers in, in traditional, you know, U S style animation, uh, what dubbers tend to call prelay because you lay the voice down before the animation comes in. Like I'd, I'd hold them up against any prelay actor and go, you know, not only are we, are we doing similar work here, but don't, do not underestimate the specific skill set that a Sheremy Lee, a Cassandra Morris, a Brandon Winkler, a Xander Mobus, any of my peers, you know, male and female, both and non-binary, like, the special skills that are available that you have to master it's acting it's matching it's uh dubbing it's speed talking it's speed reading sometimes like you're juggling a lot of plates when you're dubbing and 
and it's seen what's so weird is it's seen as the the you know the romper room or the you know the the trash bin of the entertainment industry well if you can't do anything else you may as well go dub something right um but i was just i mean season two of the ultraman anime just re just released on netflix mm -hmm. and josh hutcherson is our is our main and it's a star-studded cast like if you look up any of the cast members in that in that show they all have on-camera credits lots of dubbing credits uh you know, reg regular U.S. cartoon animation credits, like it's it's a star-studded cast of some of the some of the best best in the business because it's such a great property. But it doesn't it doesn't pay much, and a lot of it ends up being non-union, which means a lot of Hollywood actors won't go for it. And it's really unfortunate because the amount, for a couple of reasons actually. Here's a little business background: like anime is a billion-dollar industry, and. Right. Nobody in the business, with the exception of the the folks who own the IPs and the content and license the content, is really making a, a living wage. Like, I couldn't live just on dubbing. Um, and the people who do live on their dubbing gigs are usually supplementing with with appearances and and other things. Because if it was just what you were getting paid in session for doing that, I mean, you, you, you may as well be working fast food. Uh, for what you're putting in and getting out. Um, oh wow! And, and okay. I'm not bemoaning. I'm not bemoaning my status as an actor. I have the best job in the world, and I think I'm not hey. speaking for any of my my peers. I don't think any of them would complain about their lives. I would just say no, no, no. I would just way. say, you know, there is a disparity there. There's a disparity between uh, the demand for anime and 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 you know, I've I've come to understand that I guess the artists aren't being paid a living wage either. So that's really interesting. Um, but I love working in it and I love doing it. It's super fun. No, it's 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 actually kind of really great information. You know, again, it's a side of the business that unless you're on that side, you're not going to really know or understand. So, you know, and I, I get what you're saying. So it sounds like when you do anime, it's more as a, a supplement more than a, mm -hmm. a mainstay. I mean, I think there are definitely people who do it mainstay for themselves. I don't mm -hmm. mean to go back on anything I just said. I would just say that I know what typical rates are, and the people who are making mainstay are either getting above above scale rates or are negotiating their own rates, or in many cases are supplementing with you know weekend appearances and conventions and signings, sure. and those kinds of things, because it, it does pay so little, and it's very expensive to to live in Los Angeles. What's yeah. great about post-COVID is that the st many studios that were that used to be come to our house and play. You got to come to the studio. We want to get the quality audio. They're realizing that technology has caught up. Has advanced. To, has advanced, I should say. Right. They're catching up to where technology is, mm -hmm. and you can have a blue snowball, uh, just like Nick does and still get studio quality sound out of that microphone in the right environment. Mm -hmm. um, right. You can have an, an Audio-Technica AT2020 and record things that go to production as long as you have the right, you know, settings and environment. Right. And, and you've got the software to allow everybody to record live all at once. So what's been great about that is that you have seen this wider netcast if mm -hmm. for all of you who are listening to this who want to be a voice actor, you don't necessarily have to move to Los Angeles, at least not just to be able to go to studios. Now, there's an argument to be made that if you are trying to build a career, you probably want to establish yourself as a known quantity and get some FaceTime face to face mm -hmm. with studios and casting directors and other people. Um, right. 
But if you're like Roger Craig Smith, you can have done that for 20 years and decide, I'm going to move to Idaho. See ya. <laughs> and he works all the time from Idaho. And sometimes flies in, I think, to, uh, I don't mean to speak for him, but I, I've, I, I understand that he flies in sometimes when necessary. So, like, it's a wide open door. It's so different than it has ever been. Right. Because of technology. Absolutely. So I know that we are the funny science fiction podcast. We are a sci-fi based show. Sometimes, Sometimes we're funny, but <laughs> I know that we, we try to be sci-fi. Not when I'm here. It's the bring you down science fiction podcast. <laughs> we're the informational uh, science That's fiction right. podcast. Yes, this is the NPR version of the funny <laughs> science fiction podcast. Uh, my guests today are Nick Stockbridge, Tim the Siegel, and Kathleen Wass. I would like to ask all of you, what is your economic purview of the industry as it stands? Kathleen? Oh, that's awesome. That's ridiculous. I love it. But looking through your IMDb, I realized that I've more frequently heard your voice recently in things like Doc McStuffins and Elena yeah, yeah. Avalor because of my three-year-old daughter. But now yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned pre-show, the Batwheels show coming this fall, which... Yep. It's For those who are watching on YouTube, exciting. that's that's the Batwheels logo. It's coming up soon. So having done superhero shows, video games, anime, kids shows, which do you love the most? Which one is the one that you have the most fun with? Gosh, I have fun in so many different kinds of shows in different ways. But I will I do have an answer to your question. Um, using Arcane and What If as an example, I love high end drama. It's so mm -hmm. much fun to play mm -hmm. in high-end drama. And or, which I don't get to do a whole lot of, I do mostly as a hobby on the side, horror. I love to Ooh. do horror uh, audio. I love to do, I'm on the No Sleep podcast. I've got my own podcast that is um, an anthology of horror, uh, PG-13 rated horror stories, kind of like Twilight Zone-esque. Um, sure. There's a little cussing in them. They're definitely dark themes, but we we try to be, I, I won't call us family friendly, but it's not like we're just gore fests. Right. There's not a whole lot yeah, of gore. I gotcha. You know. Anyway, I love to work in that medium, but high-end drama, when I get when I get to book a gig that's like arcane and I get to I get to bring this otherwise otherworldly voice that 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 Everyone is worried is going to go cartoony and give him heart and soul. And be able to not only be this character, but have an emotional depth to him and let him experience loss as well as joy whenever it is appropriate. Like that, ah, that, that's the most fun ever. Um, that's cool. You know, junior shows are super fun because they tend to be written, at least the ones that I've had the privilege of being a part of, are usually written by really smart people who are not who are not just, you know, making kids content to get it on the air. But they are they're really trying to to give something to the preschool age children mm -hmm. that watch um, to help them socialize and, and see the world and value the world and and whatnot. I've been so grateful to work with uh craig gerber on both of his shows uh to date um elena vavalor <clears throat> sophia the first mm -hmm. uh, with with chris knee on um doc mcstuffins like some of this writing for littles is still captivating for adults and and it speaks up to them in a way they can understand mm -hmm. 
Uh, I don't know who the magician is over at Disney Junior that is got, you know, that is tapping everybody's brain and putting like the basics of child development in everyone's mind. But Disney's got something. Some other networks may be not as much. Some other networks might be more talking down to uh, a, ch- a child, depending on the mm-hmm. the actual property. But but I've I've had a great time. And that's what makes it a great time is being able to play characters that are fun and a little more three-dimensional than than preschool shows tend to allow. Yeah. Uh, they push the boundary in an upward direction in a really good way. I was on Elena of Avalor as Bruce the Butterfrog, uh, and his whole bit, he was a one-line bit, basically, uh, where they... They he they, He's this person who's, like, in the way of the, the group of heroes trying to get to point A or point B... And he's in the way and he starts complaining about them blocking the sun and he won't move so that they can keep going. Mm-hmm. And they have this bit. It was a one bit thing. Then they brought Bruce back for another bit. And you know why? Because I played him like, like Don Rickles. I just basically did my Don Rickles guy. And most of you don't even know who Don Rickles is for crying out loud. But it was just, right. you know, grumpy I, I old man. Grumpy old man with an acerbic wit. And so, obviously, it's a junior show. I can't go full Don Rickles. But Bruce the Butterfrog was kind of like that, Hey, you're standing in my sun. Get out of my sun. I'm trying to tan here. <laughs> I get one day a year. Come on. Right? It was kind of that Mr. Po- Mr. Potato Head feel. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having, like, they gave him an episode, I want to say, in, like, the third or fourth season where he was, like, he was, like, the, the hinge of the episode, he was like transforming everybody into all these magical creatures because he somehow got some magic powers. And then like by the end of it, you know, he was put in his place. But but that's, I mean, that's the kind of writing that is super fun mm-hmm. to play in because you can play more, you know, diverse characters. Um, and, 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 and then, you know, I get to work on shows for creators like Butch Hartman, uh, whether it's Tough Puppy or Fairly the later years of Fairly Odd Parents, you know, getting when you go into the session and everybody calls it the screaming session because everybody's talking about this loud, Timmy. Right. We're all like projecting to (laughs) to the rafters. Mm -hmm. And and that's a down and dirty session where where everyone in the room, it's it's Butch on the helm and his room of writers have all come into the booth. Everybody knows that this is a comedy show. It feels very like it feels very like 1950s television comedy because you've got the writers' room here, you got the actors out there, and we we're doing two takes. Then we're getting pickups if you didn't catch it in one of those two takes, and we're moving on because we got comedy to make, and it's super fun. Like there's so many fun experiences across the genres. It's a great time. It's the best job in the world, as Rob Paulson says. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. <laughs> We've had the chance to talk to him. He was amazing. Yeah, he's one of my uh, one of my heroes in this business. Um, I uh, I won't lie. Good I peed, reason. I peed a little when uh, I got a chance to and Legends of Awesomeness come in and like watch him do his thing. He was like, I think he played one ancillary character in the first season, and it's because the director showrunner of the show was uh, involved with Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs back in the day, and had a working relationship with Rob. And then we're like, we need somebody to play the sweet dad who gets captured. Rob, come in and play that. And the casting director knew I was a big fan. And so she's like, well, you know, you're not called till 11, but the person before you is Rob Paulson. So if you wanted to come in at like 1045 or something and catch Rob before he's done, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Yes, please, for the love of mud. Right? Um, Yeah. 
It we was, understand. It was Oh yeah. Right. When we had, when we had him on the show, I peed a little bit when we talked to him. It's good. Because right. there is that so. that moment when you go to enter a Zoom meeting that the rest of us are here, and then it does the whoever our guest is is in the waiting room, and you have that moment of reading the name, and you're like, <laughs> so yeah, I'll announce it out. I'm like, hey, so and so is getting ready to come in, and we have to get all our fanboying out before that person comes in, <laughs> so that we can seem like normal people when they come in and we right? say hello. You we get all your squeeze, all your schoolgirl squeeze out first. Exactly. We, we try to fool you into thinking we're normal. <laughs> and you're doing a very good job. I would never have known you were in an alien culture. Thanks. Hey, uh, very appreciate nice. that. <laughs> you reminded yeah. me of D'Onofrio in uh, Men in Black, the, a farmer who's like Edgar. <laughs> Edgar, thank you. I knew somebody would get that reference. Nice. I love Water the inner... <laughs> with sugar. Or sugar. In our, so. our Rob Paulson interview, he was literally sitting outside of a Starbucks using Starbucks Wi-Fi for our interview. That's and awesome. Jumping between his normal voice and his character voices. And I'm like, I'm waiting for somebody in the background to just do that. Like, wait, what? What, what? is happening there? What is, was that, who is that man? Was that Carl Weezer? <laughs> oh my gosh. His Carl Weezer is so good. You, yeah, you should watch the interview. There's a, he, yeah, he does a, he goes, breaks into song as Carl. It's awesome. Oh, I love it. Honestly, I, mom. yeah, I honestly had to go back and, and it caught, took me a couple rewatches, honestly. And I'm sad to say this. I thought there were people sitting behind him. I didn't realize that he was sitting up, up against the glass and that was actually just his reflection in the glass to like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. That's oh, hilarious. was it? Yeah, that's. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. Nick didn't notice it either. All right. Well, we're special. Observant, we have very observant. Both. Very. I did the editing. So. <laughs> Obviously, you paid so much attention. So we have a Facebook group over 203,000 members, and it is just Whoa! filled. Yeah, it's just filled with memes, and it's memes of Love this it. and this and funny science fiction memes. Uh, so which two of your characters would you like to see battle in a arcane battle style oh gosh um who would i like to see battle uh i think you get a good show out of iron man and um i mean this is gonna feel so cliche because we all we've really talked about today is iron man and 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 heimerdinger but they would be a great battle they're both technological geniuses you know one obviously is a, is a support hero and one is a one is what we would probably call a a damage uh per second a dps hero but they would they would throw down um although you know if I'm, if I'm if i'm going uh if I'm going deep dive on this, though, I'd love to see uh, I'd love to see H.P. Lovecraft from Bungu Stray Dogs. That's an anime character that I did uh, who has uh, his his power is simply called Elder Gods. Um, because Cthulhu. Mm hmm. And uh, I'd love to see him like go down against, you know, I don't know who else have I played? Give me a give me a minute. I'd love to see him go against Kane Madhouse from um, to the abandoned sacred beasts. Coslo from uh, Attack on Titan might have a nice time, you know, getting uh, bossed around by. Um, oh gosh, 
Who who else have I played? Uh, oh, Boss from uh, Occubus Beat. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the audience by all these people <laughs> going. Listen. Who are those characters? <laughs> um, what is he talking about? I would love to see Poe take on anybody because you know Panda. The Panda's a, a kung fu master, and that's always a great phenomenal show. So Poe versus po. Iron Man might be fun. Yeah, that's those are my those are my picks. Sweet. Solid picks. Thank you. All right, Mick, we're at the stage of the show where we like to take our guests through a little bit of a quiz. Okay. All right, so this is a four-question quiz. Each question is multiple choice. Okay. So the quiz is entitled The Year of the Release. And so we're going to give you four different titles of projects that you've worked on and three different possible years that that, are, that title was released. Okay. 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 And you'll have to pick it. Now, if you get three of the four questions correct, we'd like to send you this book, which is entitled Custodians of the Cosmos. Uh, it's written by Drayton Allen, also known as Nick's dad. Uh, oh, but cool. it's a book about a young man who wanted to join something quite like Starfleet, but not like Starfleet for very obvious litigious reasons. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he wasn't able to join, so he washed out and uh, came back as a custodian to boldly clean up after those who had boldly just went. So. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I hope I, hope I can answer these because uh, now yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the book. Yeah. Don't, don't tease and, me this way. I know I'm trying not to, but if you get less than the three questions, correct. We just talked about all those memes. We take your picture, we make a meme out of you and we put you into our Facebook group. It's called our fun sequence. Oh no. <laughs> all right. I, I'm game. I, I love the excitement of the, Oh, I get, I, I might get a book. I get a book. Wait, Yay, I get a wait, meme. A meme. You're gonna ah. like It'll be very tastefully done. Dan Pavemeyer is a former meme recipient. So it's your you're good. Company. Oh, good, good, good. Goosebumps 2, Slappy's Revenge. Did that come out in 2005, 2015, or 2008? 2015. No. Unless uh, Tim's wrong. No, we're going to say if IMDb was wrong. Hold on a second. Are you talking about Haunted Halloween? uh, Goosebumps 2, the feature, Haunted Halloween? Because that's what I was in. I think we need to start fact-checking Tim's questions. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Listen, I want my book. I'm going to make a meme out of you. You you might get that opportunity if uh, this continues on. Uh, let's see. Kathleen, are you speedy on the Google? I put in the wrong date. I forgot the one. It's a 2018. Whoa. So, that wasn't even an option, and I still got it right. Yeah. So uh, you, you got it right. Congratulations. And I suck at typing. So, Thank goodness. I'm, I'm, I feel mostly unconfident about the next three so let's go well let's see how it goes all right arcane is that 2020 2021 or 2019 2021 that is correct it was slated for 2020 but then you know the world shut down yes jumanji the video game oh no (laughs) uh oh man 2014 2020 or 2019 i'm gonna have to say 2019 you are correct. Yes. Oh, and that's the book. There you go. Yes! You get the book. I get the book. Just, despite my inefficiencies at typing, you you have bested <laughs> that quiz. It's been a long week, Tim. We'll, we'll give it has you, been. Yeah. We'll give you a little bit of a break there. All right. But question number four, to see if you can completely destroy Tim's quiz. Okay. Mass Effect 2. Was that 2010, 2015, or 2012? That was 2010. That is correct. And yes! Continuity cop right here. 
four for four. Very good job. All right. Well, Mick, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you're working on now? Yeah, uh, you can go and and follow me on all my socials, which are at Mick Wingert. That's Instagram and Twitter mostly. I'm also on Facebook, uh, but I'm rarely there. So follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm, you're probably going to mostly hear from me. Although now that Elon Musk has bought it, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm there for now. I'm on Instagram. It's all my. It's my first and last name with a little at symbol in front of it. It's all one word. Thankfully, I got both in both of those socials. Um, the Hidden Frequencies is my podcast. You can find it at thehiddenfrequencies.com, all one word. Uh, don't forget the the in the, in the beginning of it. Um, you can also listen to it on everywhere it's available, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your, your favorite podcast. It has an, R, um, an RSS feed, so uh, hidden fre- thehiddenfrequencies.com. And then if, if you want to check me out as a coach and or voiceover teacher, you can do that through mickwingert.com. That's also, there's a contact form if you wanted to reach out and say hello or ask a question. I uh, can't guarantee that I'll get back to you right away, but but I, I try. I try to get back to everybody. MickWingert.com. Well, we are going to link all of those in our show description so that our viewers and our listeners can check that out. Awesome. And we want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show to continue to grow. And we get amazing guests like Mick Wingert here today to have these great conversations with and these funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps out well more than we'll ever be able to tell you. And just as a reminder, it's that little button down there at the bottom of the screen. Uh, And make sure that you go out and you check out Mick's work as well. Uh, He's a fun follow. I follow him on Twitter. It's a good time. So, however, if you are not happy with the content of our show today, Please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That would be Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. But please do be sure to bring multiple copies of your complaint, but only hand it to Happy. Tony doesn't like to be handed things. You'll get used to that over time. And if your complaint fits in between his afternoon nap and his pre-dinner Bloody Mary, then you have the chance of follow-through, provided, of course, that he can find the copy of your complaint. Hopefully, Happy gave one of those complaints to Pepper Potts because, let's be honest, Pepper is the logistical part of this operation. And if she's got it, then for sure, we will be dealt with in the order of which our complaint was received. Well, thanks again, Mick. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you very much. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for Funny Science Fiction. Goodbye. Yeah. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FunnySciFi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode.